Welcome back to the Tough Cover radio show. And we've got a great guest on the line here. Bob Wankel, our favorite guest cover, that covers the Phillies here. Our Phillies plug. You can follow him at Bob underscore Wankel. And recently at the start of the month, he started this newsletter called Red October. You can follow it at RedOctoberPhilly.com. It's absolutely great stuff. If you're not following that, you're not reading that, you're not getting the best possible Phillies information that you can get in the city. And that's why we're pumped when we can bring Bob Wankel on. Bob, thanks so much for coming on. I, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. It's always great to, to have you on. And I was telling Brace, because you're, you're, the, you're the baseball bro. You're Bob Wankel. You're the Phillies guy. But you're, you're quite the Eagles fan, Bob Wankel. So let's start there. Before we get over... <laughs> Before we get to the Phillies, I actually haven't checked because I, I feel like I've been so plugged in on other stuff. I haven't seen where you're at with the Eagles. Are are you along the lines where me and Sean Brace are, where you're you're kind of sick of the Negadelphian, the, the the people who are <laughs> like already complaining, sitting at two and zero? Are you seeing the concerns and are you freaking out a little bit? You know, it's funny. I grew up in this area as a massive Phillies fan, massive Eagles fan, and on the Phillies front, you know, I'm not going to lie. I know that like. The, the, the hardcore journalists of the world say, like, I don't have a rooting interest. Like, of course, of course I want to see the Phillies do well. I mean, all my friends and family love the Phillies. Mm -hmm. But I think I've gotten to a place where I can be pretty objective with them, mm -hmm. you know? With the Eagles, though, I'm right back at 15 years old. Like, totally irrational, <laughs> freaking out, play-by-play. -play. And if you look at, like, the, the five tweets I think I've sent out over the, the first two games, they've all been pretty negative. But... I will say, when you take a deep breath and you look at it, two wins in five days, they have a ton of injury issues. They have two new coordinators. They're going to be favored in at least the first five or six games here. Like, they're in a pretty good spot. So I think when you pump the brakes and, and take a deep breath and reassess, you gotta, you got to like where they're at right now. But they got plenty to work on, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I won't waste too much time talking about it. I was just curious where you were at. And, yeah, I, I do know you're a diehard, diehard Eagles fan, so I had to, had to start it off there. But I wanted to start it off talking about, you know, I, it feels like the same thing that is the first question every time I have you on, Bob Wankel, and it's a guy named Aaron. Uh, it's, it's Aaron Nola. And, you know, here we are again asking ourselves tough questions. And these seem to be the toughest questions I've ever had to ask you about Aaron Nola, because I think this is probably the lowest I've ever been, um, on Aaron Nola. And obviously we could talk about a whole bunch of different reasons to be concerned. We can talk about the whole season and the whole body of evidence we've had for all of 2023 on Aaron Nola. I look at last night. And I look at the fact that he had one strikeout uh, against that St. Louis Cardinals lineup, and man, I'm concerned. I, I that is not Aaron Nola that I know. Whatever it, for whatever his negatives are, for whatever his bad starts have been, it's generally because he gets in trouble, he gets in a jam, he freaks out because people are on base, he gives up a homer here or there, obviously, but it's not because he can't strike people out. And I'm a little concerned that we're seeing officially the regression and decline of a guy who's just thrown an absolute ungodly amount of innings over the last five to seven years. Uh, yeah, you might be. I mean, listen, there's this thing that we, we do in this city, you know, and it's, it's been over the last few years here. Either you think that Aaron Nola is a, you know, a choke artist or, you know, uh, you just can't appreciate the greatness of Aaron Nola. Like, there's these staunch defenders, and then there's these people that just think that he's, you know, a number four starter. And, and the truth has probably always been somewhere in between, but I would say historically kind of trending towards the number one, number two type guy. This year, uh, you know, it, it's just been bad. And for a while, even when the, the ERA was sitting in the low fours, mid fours, there were some numbers that supported that he was having a better season than, than maybe some of the traditional numbers suggested. 
But now we're reaching a point in September where it's just it's just totally gone off the rails here. I mean, I'll say for him, like nobody had hit at least 250 over the course of a month. Like opponents didn't hit over 250 against him in any month this season. His whip was pretty reasonable because he was able to limit walks. The home runs were really the issue. But now in September, he's not giving you innings. He hasn't completed five innings in any of the three starts that he's made in September. Opponents are hitting 355 with a 969 OPS against him this month. And as you said, look, last night, one strikeout, very little swing and miss. The velocity is what it is, but now he's not getting any run on his pitches. He's not fooling anybody. He's not locating like he did traditionally. It's a mess right now, and I think that there are significant concerns about what he is moving forward this season and beyond. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubts there, and I, you know, there's two different ways I could go. Let's focus on this year, and let's focus on the rotation for the playoffs. And obviously, Thompson said it on radio a couple of days ago. He said uh, it was a terrible question by the host that led the question <laughs> and and didn't let him answer with what his rotation would be, and gave what his rotation would be, and had Thompson agree with him. Whatever, I won't get too upset about that, but. He he asked him if it was going to be Wheeler, Nola, Ranger, Walker, and Thompson said, yeah, that's what it's going to be. Do you think that means there's no way Nola can't be moved out of game two? Like, is he locked in for game two of that wild card series, assuming that they don't collapse and they get there? Or is it possible if Ranger comes out again tonight and, you know, throws his, throws his butt off and has another great start and continues doing well down the stretch here, is it possible Ranger could end up being the number two in a playoff rotation? So I think that the, the question is an interesting one. And if it was on merit, I would say, yeah, abs- absolutely, right? But I think that there's a concern here with the idea of Aaron Nola pitching a, a, in a short playoff series. If you go into that, that three-game series in the wild card round, do you want Aaron Nola to take the ball in a decisive game? Um, and I don't know that you can answer that in, in a positive way right now. I mm-hmm. think I would rather take my, my chances in a make-or-break situation with Ranger Suarez, who last postseason sort of showed that the, the big moment doesn't phase him. And then to be, to be fair to Aaron Nola, I mean, he did have some significant starts. He, he pitched the clincher in Houston. Mm-hmm. He was great against St. Louis. He was pretty good against the Braves in that NLDS start. But, I mean, I just think that you look at what he's done here recently, especially, and look at the whole body of work this season. And I just don't know that I could hand the ball to him in a in a make or break game right now. So, so I guess the question is: If you do, you leave it? Do you set up the rotation before the series starts, or if Zach Wheeler goes out and wins Game One, do you throw Nola Game Two? But if Zach Wheeler comes out and loses Game One, and you got your back against the wall in a Game <laughs> Two situation. Are you feeling good about Aaron Nola down 0-1 with some adversity to deal with? Or, or would you rather, to get to Game 3, would you rather use Ranger in that spot? Yeah, I, I still think I would probably go Nola Game 2 and just mm-hmm. hope that, that the, uh, I guess I'll call it upside. If, if I'm trying to spin this in a positive fashion, I, I guess I would just try to rely on the historical track record yeah. and hope that his talent can kind of carry them home for five, six innings. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's going to be Wheeler, Nola, and Suarez in some combination. And if you get to the NLDS and you use a game four starter, that's an entirely different question because, you know, listen, Taiwan Walker is the guy that they paid to be, to be that guy in a game four, but he's been a mess lately and his first innings have especially been brutal. I mean, he has an an ERA north of seven right now in the first inning this season. So, you know, you're almost running the risk of just putting yourself into an instant deficit if he takes the ball in a playoff series. 
which begs the question, if you don't start him, then what do you do with him? Because he's not really a bullpen option. So the, the starting rotation right now is a massive issue. There's a lot to feel good about with this team at the moment. I know they haven't played great baseball lately. The Braves roughed them up a little bit, lose two out of three to the Marlins. But I don't want to come on here and just say, oh, my goodness, it's the end of the world. They have no shot. But the starting rotation is, is a massive, massive question mark. And it's been for a few weeks now, and you're hoping to get some answers at this point. They just haven't been there. So I guess uh, I, I'm going to go one way and then come back to that real quick. But looking at Nola again and looking at his pending free agency, and I know we're in the middle of a run, we're in the middle of the playoffs, that's where our focus is. But I do think it can't be talked about without mentioning the fact that he is a pending free agent who's costing himself millions per start here uh, down the stretch. I look at the available options. It's not a murderer's row of pitching pitching options that, that coming this offseason. You have Nola. You have potential Cy Young and Blake Snell. Um, and then you have a guy that who I'm kind of desperate for. If they're looking to, to replace Nola, they don't want to buy in on whatever this Nola contract's going to be. Would you rather keep Nola? Would you rather go for a Snell or would you look at a guy like Sonny Gray? Sonny Gray is a guy who I've always loved. I've, I've always I thought he got a raw deal in New York, and I feel like that's what people think of him now as because they don't follow the Reds and Twins. But he's been remarkably consistent for like five years now, um, outside of one year with an over four ERA there. But the last two years, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. I would love if the Phillies brought in a Sonny Gray. Do you think the Phillies... Are even going to consider keeping Nola around? Do you think they? Do you think they would look elsewhere? Do they look at more of like a Taiwan Walker level option? What do you think they'll they'll do, or is it still kind of up in the air? Yeah, I, I don't know that it's up in the air. I mean, all season I figured that Aaron Nola was going to get paid, if not by the Phillies, by another team, and and he still is because you look at the options and there aren't many, as you just suggested, but. I do wonder if we're just trending towards a, a situation where it's just best for all parties to kind of do a change of scenery. You know, um, I, I think if the Phillies wanted to sign Aaron Nola this past off season, they would have. Uh, and if Aaron Nola was willing to, to take a little bit of a, a, you know, hometown discount, so to speak, he, he probably would have. And the fact that they didn't sign that deal this past winter, I think invites a lot of skepticism about a reunion here beyond this season. Uh, and then you look at the way this year has transpired, and I, I just think that the Phillies would have to have significant concerns about handing Aaron Nola four or five years right now, uh, anything north of, of 100, $120 million. And, I mean, there was a point where we were talking about him maybe being a $180 million-plus guy, you know, and I just don't. I just don't know that you can do that. Like, maybe there's a team out there that, that looks at all those secondary peripheral numbers, looks at the innings, realizes that he pitched deep into the postseason last year and that he, he just might be having a down year and that he's got a few more good ones in front of him. But, like, I just don't know if, if, if the Phillies are the team to take that chance. It just sort of feels like this thing's winding down to me a little bit. You mentioned some interesting options. And I do wonder if they jump into the trade market as well. Um, mm. You know, like, if you look at a team like Milwaukee, and they have a lot of starting pitching. Uh, they have a lot of guys that are that are about to have expiring contracts. And, like, I just even wonder if, like, a guy like Corbin Burns, and he's had some issues with the, the organization there, and I, I, things have sort of soured between those two sides. Like, I just wonder if that's something, and maybe it's not over the winter, like, maybe it's into the season, but, like, do they start to explore the trade market and look for a frontline guy? But... To, to answer the final part of your question, I don't think it can be a Taiwan Walker level pitcher. Like it just can't be because Zach Wheeler's getting up there. He's thrown a ton of innings. Like you need another one B, two A type guy at the top of this rotation if you want to pretend that you can hang with Atlanta next season and and make a postseason run as a wild card and and all of that. They just can't do it with another back end guy up there. 
Yeah, I tend to agree there. Let me get back to your one, your point about the rotation, and I'm with you. There are reasons to be concerned. I'm as concerned as I've ever been with Nola. I'm concerned with Walker. But what I would say, if I was looking at it glass half full, who doesn't have a concerning rotation um, in the Mm -hmm. NL? Atlanta obviously is Atlanta. I mean, they're almost a perfect baseball team. I don't think their rotation... I was saying yesterday on the Daily Ticket with Sean Brace, I don't think their rotation is as scary as some of the Dodgers rotations of the last couple years have been, like, in terms of top, top teams, like when the Dodgers had Kershaw and Urias and Bueller and some of those guys. The Braves are the best lineup I've ever seen. I don't know if their pitching is as dominant as some of the great teams that we've seen in the past. Obviously, Milwaukee's got a ton of pitching. They don't have any hitting. But you look at the other teams, the Dodgers pitching is really concerning. The Diamondbacks outside of Gallon, I, I don't know if I'm buying in on it. The Cubs, they have Steele, obviously. Everyone else is pretty up in the air. I, I just mm-hmm. I, I just don't know if there's that much pitching or there's that many teams that can feel that say, Yeah, I feel great about where we are going into a playoff rotation. Is that is that fair? I think it's absolutely fair. And and we have a tendency to do this. Like we watch the Phillies. We watch them night in, night out, and we overanalyze every flaw and deficiency and we exaggerate it. And I think that sometimes we get so narrowly focused that we don't realize that, hey, none of these teams are perfect. Now you said the Braves are about as close to perfect as it gets, and I I agree with that. And listen, Freed Good pitcher. Yeah. Strider, you know, we saw what he's capable of this past week here. But there are blow-ups in there. Yep. You know, it's not like these guys can't be had. So, and then you look at what the Phillies were able to do to the Atlanta bullpen in a couple of those games. Like, I think that the Phillies, even though they lost three out of four this week to Atlanta, like, it, it, Brian Snicker said it. Like, I'm a little bit concerned about the Phillies. Like, I think that they would be our toughest matchup. And, there's got to be like at least a little bit of. I think Atlanta is ultra confident. I I think that they expect to win no matter who they play. There's probably an acknowledgement that yeah, you know what, these guys are going to be tough if if we happen to run into them next month. But in terms of just the pitching around the league, it is Milwaukee. But the offense is so bad that you, you just wonder if it's neutralized almost. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Same with the Twins out west or in the AL. Yeah. They have incredible pitching, but it's just not going to be enough hitting to to get them through there. And yeah, no, that's that's where I'm at. I'm in the same boat where it's kind of like I think we do focus on our team so heavily that you don't consider like go look at the Dodgers and try to figure out who they're starting in a playoff series like that. That's oh, it, sure. I mean, you 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 look at Chicago, right? And everybody's like, oh, if the Phillies don't get it together, if they don't win this series in St. Louis, or if they don't do that, like they're they're going to be on the road in the first round. You're like, well, the Cubs just lost a series to the the Rockies, you know, yeah. and then they lost last night, and like they're they're not playing good baseball. They've been really bad for the last seven or eight days. So I just think that you know everyone's like, oh, it's another September collapse. It's this, it's that. And you're like, just look around. Like the Giants, the Marlins, the Reds, the Cubs. These teams stink, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I know that's probably not like, uh, you know, a, a real journalistic way to say it, but these teams aren't any good. You know, no. the, the Phillies are the best of a flawed bunch of teams behind Atlanta. That's, that's the way that I look at it. So I, I'll move on from the pitching now and I'll, I'll take a look at what's been going well for the Phillies. And obviously you can't start anywhere but new, you know, new father, I guess. I guess it's been a couple of weeks now, but Trey Turner. I mean, this run that Trey Turner has been on is just I, I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. And we've seen Schwarber go on, you know, 
insane runs. We've seen we we we've seen Bryce go on insane runs. We've even seen Reese obviously have some insane runs. This Trey Turner run is just nothing short of amazing. And of course, it starts with the uh, the applause from the Phillies fans and the standing. Oh, uh, what what are your thoughts on what Trey's been able to do? And do you think it did? Like, do you think the standing O did have an impact? Or if it's not anything like that, what were kind of some of the mechanical changes he's made and some of the things he's changed at the plate that have allowed him to become himself again? I've talked to a couple players about this, and um, the way it was kind of explained to me is that you're not competing in the moment. When you're when you're going through a slump to the degree that Trey Turner was going through one, and you have the expectations and the contract, and you're in a new city, and you, you feel the weight of the world all the time, you're not competing in the moment. You're not competing pitch to pitch. You're not competing in that at bat. You're, you're competing with your career. You know, like you're, you're trying to get it all back in one swing. You're trying to undo three bad months in one game. And when you start to do that and you lose the moment, uh, it really can go south on you very quickly. And I, I think that that's probably the best way to explain what was going on with Trey Turner. It's just that I have to validate my contract. I have to validate this deal. I have to justify my existence here. And it wasn't about what am I doing in this at bat? What, what am I going to do? What adjustment do I have to make to this specific pitcher? And I, and I think even if he weren't to admit that, uh, there had to be some of that going on internally. And I'm not trying to play psychologist here, but very clearly it was all a mental thing, uh, or primarily mental thing, I should say. So, you know, did the, the, the applause help? You know, I, I think you almost have to be so skeptical and so negative and such a hater to say that it didn't have some impact on him. Like, he had to uh, appreciate it to a degree. Now, at the same time, he's the one swinging the bat. He's the one that has been this productive now for, for the oh, – I think it's somewhat disingenuous to just say it's all because the Phillies fans gave him a round of applause, but th- did it get this thing going? Did it maybe for one night let him breathe and sort of just focus in the moment, and then did things take off from there? Yeah, I think that that's entirely possible. Yeah, since that applause, he's third in batting average in baseball, sixth in OBP, first in slugging, first in OPS, first in WOBA, second in hits, first in homers, fourth in runs, first in RBIs, first in extra base hits, first in total bases. I mean, it it is absolutely incredible. And now you're looking at his season-long totals, and it's like, he's going to have an awesome year. He's going to have, like... Like close to a 30-30 year, over 800 OPS potentially. Like it's it's awesome to see. I mean, he he has just been nothing short of incredible. But the one thing I will say, and I, I just saw this article from Phillies Nation this morning. Um, I don't know how long ago it was, but they're about talking about how poorly Trey has graded out at shortstop, and obviously he had two errors last night. Um, didn't cost them the game, but they were scared. It made the game probably a little scarier than it would have been. Um, so people were a bit critical of his defense. Bryson Stott has been a gold glove potential second baseman. And I understand that there's value to keeping him there and to keeping elite, elite defense at that one spot. Would you rather have a bad defensive shortstop with an elite second baseman defensively? Or if they've considered moving Stott to shortstop, because that's what this article is about. I suggested it a couple months ago. If Stott played shortstop, he'd probably be maybe average, maybe above average defensively, and you'd hope Trey would get back to being at least a league average defender at second base. Is that better for a defense than having a liability at shortstop but having an elite guy at second base? 
Yeah, I mean, I think in a perfect world, you have an adequate second baseman and an above-average shortstop, but that's not the world that they're going to be working in here for the next few years. So I, I do wonder if that's something they look at because it's, it's reached a point where it's not about uh, advanced metrics. It's not defensive run saved. It's not UZR. It's, it's the eye test. You're like, this yeah. guy's not playing a good shortstop. He's just not making routine plays. And every time he throws the ball, frankly, right now, you, you kind of hold your breath going across mm-hmm. the infield. I mean, you see that that triple with the error, uh, Jake Cave, uh, the other day in the yes. day game against Atlanta. Like, everyone's going crazy over Jake <laughs> Cave, and it was a horrible play. I mean, he did three things wrong on the same play, right? I went nuts in your mentions. You were, <laughs> you were, yell, you were yeah. talking about Trey, and I was like, no, Bob, Jake Cave is a bomb. No, no. <laughs> And you're, I mean, like, listen, it was the play was JK's fault, but like, I couldn't help yeah. but notice the throw to the plate. I mean, he catches the relay throw on the on the dirt, and the ball is 12 feet to the left of, of home plate, and you're just like, what was that? And then you see it again last night. You've seen it a lot lately. So, you know, I don't think they're going to make any switches this season, but yeah. going into 24, do you think about maybe doing a flip there? Yeah, but you, that's one that I think you have to go to the player, and, and I think you have to say, like, hey, we're thinking about doing this. What are your thoughts? Does he object to it? Is he on board with it? Like, what's what's the temperature when you go to him? And, and I think he has to be part of that decision because that's the type of thing when you bring a guy in and you sign that type of money, you say, well, you can do whatever you want with him, but you, you need to have the buy-in there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that that's definitely going to be important. Another question here, one last question on the on a batting question here, a lineup question, JT Real Muto. This is truly bizarre, what's going on with the home road splits. And I noticed it a couple months ago and tweeted about it, and it wasn't as crazy then. It's gotten even crazier since then. Luke Arcani had a tweet about it. You were talking about it last night. There's been a ton of talk about it now. Thompson said on the radio, you know, it's because he has four kids at home, and that's why he's got like a five-something OPS and a nine-something <laughs> on the road. Do you think it's as simple as that? And what, what do you think, what's going on here with JT? I mean, listen, I'm doing this newsletter, right? And <laughs> when I when I do it in the morning, I have two kids that are under two years old right now. And it's, it's hard to get that thing done. Now, they were at the shore for a couple of days last week with my wife. I was home by myself. I was locked in. It was so much easier to write it. So maybe, maybe there's something to be said for having a bunch of young kids running around having an impact on your job performance. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean... It's, it's like one of those things, though, it's, it's pretty crazy, because if you look at his numbers at Citizens Bank Park lifetime, even with this year, they're still pretty good. And I, I think, you know, I looked at it last week. He was still hitting like the 270s lifetime at home. So it, it's, it's not like it could just be one of these weird anomalies, one of these weird things and a small sample size of one season that you just can't explain. He's obviously aware of it now, so he's probably pressing a little bit more. Um, but the numbers that, that are even more concerning, it's not just the home road stuff, it's the runners in scoring position. Like, there was a time last, last week or maybe two weeks ago where he was starting to creep up towards an, uh, 800 OPS. And you're like, you know, you know, that's pretty good for a guy that catches as many innings as he does. And you're like, are we sort of undervaluing what JT Romuto's done this year? Mm-hmm. Because I, I think that when you watch him play on a daily basis, you kind of feel a little bit underwhelmed by his season. Yeah. But you're like, you know, these numbers are starting to compile and starting to stack up pretty nicely for him. Why it feels so hollow is because he's just not doing damage with runners in scoring position. Yeah. I mean, he he hasn't hit a home run yet with a runner in scoring position. He's under two hundred. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. So I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's one of these things. And I I, I know uh, somebody wrote about it today. I, I forget who it was. It might have been it might have been Zalecki. Um, 
talking about like it's been an up and down season for Cassiano. It's certainly been a mostly down season for Aaron Nola. But I think you can lump JT Romuto into this as well. Like if you finish strong here this month and you have a good October, you forget all that, right? Yeah. And and you're just banking on the fact that the guy's been so consistent and so productive for this team for a number of years that he still has it in him. One last question, actually, unwritten rule question. Um, we we used to we used to do this every time we had you on, where we ask you one unwritten rule question, and I'll, I'll, it's a two parter because I think it's two parts. So the Philadelphia Phillies, obviously, on their on their big brand new jumbotron, gave a nice little congratulations to their their rivals, the Atlanta Braves, who have owned us for how many years? I mean, I guess we got them in the playoffs last year, but they, they it's I think it's egregious to have a meeting. Someone in the PR department has to raise. The, the point of being like, guys, this is stupid. This is dumb. Everyone's going to hate it. What's your thoughts on the Phillies putting that on the screen? And then also, what are your thoughts on Brian Snitker telling Ronald Acuna you'll get to play in the World Series this year? I didn't know the Braves made the World Series on uh, on September on September 15th. It went past my – I didn't see it. It didn't come, didn't come across my desk. But what are your thoughts on those two those two topics? Well, if, if it wasn't Mike and we didn't see it on Twitter and I just told you that that was said, you'd say, like, all right, well, what are you going to say to a, a player when you're celebrating a, a division title? So I don't know that that's that big of a deal. But <laughs> as far as the, the jumbo screen stuff goes and the congratulations, it's it's hard to fathom, right? Like, the, oh. I think I in the, the newsletter the other day, I said, imagine Lincoln Financial Field, oh. a late-season game with the Cowboys. Cowboys win 23-20 on a walk-off field goal, and you look at the end zone scoreboard, and it's congratulations, Dallas Cowboys, NFC East champs 2023. Like, you'd throw up in your seat, right? Yeah. So I I think you have to keep the same standard across all sports. I I don't get it. Someone had insinuated that it's sort of like standard fare and and sort of what they do in Major League Baseball. Like, you just can't have it. I do like, however, that it feels like we have a real rivalry brewing here like this you see a little animosity you see a lot of a lot of chippiness both sides are chirping it it, this started like you kid zach wheeler the other night when when he was like who talking about ronald acuna like you don't you don't know who the best player in baseball is this season zach like you that's 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 all calculated man like this is this is getting fun so if these two teams play each other next month it's going to be wild i agree and i love the hate too i you know i wish it wasn't with the best organization in sports and the team that has like eight of the top 10 contracts in baseball on that one ranking list that just came out. But you know what? We'll take it. We got him last year. At least we'll always be able to hang our hat on that. I think we'll, you know, we'll get a chance again this year. I do think we're going to see him again in the NLDS. So, and Bob, we're going to be talking to you throughout that run. And I think there will be at least the, at least some run. I think there will be a small run um, in the playoffs, but Bob, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we'll have you on in the coming weeks for sure. Awesome. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Everyone go follow Bob Wankel on Twitter. Absolutely great, great Twitter follow over there. And check out his new newsletter, the, the Red October Philly newsletter. Fantastic stuff. Again, I have no issues. I understand how it works. They're a classy organization. I just said Ugh. that that screen is too damn big. It's too big. But Bob's right though, because I don't think the Eagles would roll that out for the no. NL or the NFC East. You think the Sixers are rolling that out for the Celtics? I don't think so. Yeah, who knows what the Sixers? Yeah, yeah, That's, yeah. Uh, that organization. But th- this goes hand in hand with the Phillies letting that Mets bozo buffoon throughout that, the first pitch. Which that should never happen. It's moronic. Um, but like I said, the screen is just too big. Like that thing was, it was a gigantic 
thank you or congratulations. It's like, dude, all right, how about a little like on the, you know, on the little, the little thing that goes around the field, like not the big scoreboard, you know, just quick jab. Yeah, yeah, congratulations. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm totally with you there. I, it's nonsense. Let's talk a little NFL. Let's wrap well, can up we, the show. Can we just mention real quick that uh, Mississippi State, I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. As it's 142 to 5. In the yard. Oh, my goodness. It is ugly. The funny thing is Mississippi State returned the opening kickoff to the 40. It's, and then they just three and outed. It's ugly. Quarterback play is terrible. Uh, 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 Daniels for the um, uh, quarterback for LSU was 12 of 12. Wow. Yeah, he was 12 of 12. And I'm just looking at this live line now. And I'm like, hmm. Come back in on LSU. Uh, Kansas State down 10-7. Uh, Mizzou scored 10 unanswered after K-State opened the game with a touchdown there. K-State, K-State is driving Yeesh. now. Hopefully K-State can, can score there. You were up fist pumping over the first seven. It's I was. 10-7. I was also fist pumping over Iowa State missing a field goal down here against Ohio, which I can't believe we have on the TV. I can't believe that's in the four boxer here, yeah. but shout out to the Ohio Four wide. Four wide. Yeah. <laughs> Penn State up 3 nothing, three driving nothing. here. Yeah, yeah. Driving here. They have the ball in Illinois territory. They did just get an interception. Um, so hopefully Penn State can turn it on a bit there. But let's let's continue the conversation we were having earlier. We talked a bunch of the NFL games. My one last play of the week, I gave my four plays so far. Um, so far, I do have the, the Packers, I have the Texans, I have the Chargers, and I have the Niners. My last play on the board is the Denver Broncos. Minus, I think it's, is it three or three and a half at this point? Three and a half. Yeah, Broncos country. Let's ride. Tough cover country. Broncos Let's ride. country. Let's ride. Where are you at with that game? Are you are you afraid of back in Denver? Are yes. You, you're totally out on Russ at this point. Uh, I, I I think my my hunch my hunches were, were correct, and, and I think he might be in the the pot uh, and on top of the stove for all the cooked quarterbacks. Mm. I think he might be in that pot, man. And and Sean Payton's a hell of a coach. I, I just, I don't know. It comes down to Russ, and it looked like the same. They didn't lose that game because of Russell Wilson. I'm not trying to say that, but the expectations for Russell and what he was supposed to be, clearly what we saw last year, I think we're going to see the same this year, Peyton or not. We got a commercial here with Mylotta, Kelsey, and Cox. Todd commercial? I haven't seen this. Uh, it looks new. Mylotta, Kelsey, and Cox. All right. There there you go. Good for Mylotta. He's a star. My, Jordan Mylotta, by the way, was the highest-graded PFF uh P- player on the Eagles on Thursday. What a draft pick. 96.5 PFF grade. He wasn't even drafted, right? No. Or was it seventh? It was something, either something seventh wild. or undrafted. But I guess we didn't even talk about that. The Eagles are 2-0. The Eagles are sitting here. We talked about it a little bit with Wankel. They did win on Thursday night. We don't play. I mean, they don't play again before our next Mo- show. Monday night. <laughs> Monday nighter, uh, talk of radio show next Saturday. We, there won't be anything. We don't have anything to talk about between them. Yeah. The so he was from Wales. Remember all that? And he was a seventh round pick uh, at two thirty three. I mean, rugby how many, star. How many picks are in this total seven round? Like what? What's Mister uh, of? Two fifty something. Two sixty I mean, something. That's pretty impressive, right oh, there. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's one of the greatest draft picks in Eagles history, bar none. I absolutely. Mean, absolutely. I yep. mean, he's a stud. By the way, might even be a better singer than he is a football player. Yeah, it's he, unbelievable. He was in Mass Singer. That show's still going on on Fox. Oh, he was yeah. on that. You should not be allowed to be that talented at two things. It, it is. That's not fair. It's not. It's like Donald Glover, Justin Timberlake. Like, can't be that good of an actor. That good of a director. That good of a, like a singer. Like, <laughs> get out of my face. Like, get, get a talent and stick to it. But I will say, Denver Broncos minus three and a half versus the Commanders. This bet is less about the Denver Broncos for me. It's more about the Commanders. I 
think this little off-season commanders party everyone started, the Hal Hive, John Jansen and Roy Burton, and all these commanders people, I think they're nuts, Sean. I think they're nuts, Sean Brace. I think the commanders stink. They do, and I took them week one Survivor Pool. We squeeze it out. It's a good job by Heart you. You was, don't have to think about them again. Heart was thumping pretty good on that one, but I'm right there with you. If you if you made me make a selection on this one, I think Sean Payton gets his first victory, uh, but I, I, I don't think it's going to come easy. And, and you know, as far as the commanders are concerned, you expect them to be a little bit better on the defensive side. Um, so they could make that. This could be another underplay. Like, you know, last week was Definitely. as far as between those two teams, the, the Raiders and, and the Broncos. I'm looking at this one. And if you're probably making me, if you're pushing to make a selection, 38 and a half, I might still take the under on that. That's the lowest total. Actually, no, the Jets and Cowboys are the lowest total on the board. So at 38. I think this is like a 20 to 10 game. Yeah. Broncos win like 20 to 10. Washington's offense with Sam Howell finished the game 25th in overall efficiency. He took six sacks, had just six and a half yards per attempt. Rivera, uh, his first four games of the, in the first four games of the year, Ron Rivera coached teams are five and 12 against the spread after a win. Least profitable coach against the spread in the NFL. In that spot, after a home loss, the Broncos are ten and two straight up and nine and three against the spread when playing at home again over the last decade. Russell Wilson is four and one in that spot in his career off of a loss in two straight home games. And then you got all the Sean Payton stats. I mean, twenty four and sixteen against the spread after a loss, fifteen and five against the spread since twenty fifteen after a loss. Second most profitable against the spread coach in the in the history of the NFL behind Bill Belichick. Did you know that? No, did not know fun, that. Fun fact. Andy yep. Reid's third, I believe. How about that? Um, so, yeah, it makes sense. Those Next are, question. Those are the three three best of all time. There. I miss yeah. Big Red. Time's, time's, time's yours. I don't. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't. Sorry, he didn't do next question. I'm an idiot. Time, time's yours. Time's yours. I was not an Andy Reid guy. I don't think many not people an were. And by the way. I think we were we were justified. We want to we want a damn Super Bowl yeah, a couple of years you know, after they, he left. They, so hit hey, us, they hit us with "Be careful what you wish for," but Andy has definitely been a better coach in Kansas City. And look, he was tremendous yeah, here, he was tremendous here, but he was very flawed at times with time, clock management, and that's all well documented. Yeah, um, and he couldn't get over the hump to win that big game. That's just yeah. My so, argument would be that it's it's nice to have the the greatest of all time. It's yeah, that's gonna make a difference when you got a guy like Mahomes back there. There's a big difference between him and Donovan and him and Michael Vick and little yeah. bit. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Not yeah. that those guys weren't great, but a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Kevin Cobb, little bit. By the way, I to close down the show here. Usually we do donkey brains, usually we do all these other things. I I'm just gonna we're gonna stick to football. A lot of teaser options here. You ever you ever mess around with a teaser? I'm not a big tease Neither guy. I. I used to, you know, but the up to eight and a half, I was looking at the Steelers, right? Because the Steelers are catching two and a half at home on Monday night. They are. So I was kind of tempted to, to look at that. And then um, there was another game that I was peeking at from uh, a standpoint of teasing. Let me see if I can dig that up real quick. But yeah, the Monday night with the Steelers catching two and a half, tease that up to eight and a half. That's a nice number there. So I actually have two teasers pending. I had the Eagles plus four on two teasers. I have Chargers, which now that's probably even higher. But at the time, I had them plus seven. Mm. And I have Cowboys plus one to finish that one teaser. I also have Packers plus nine and Niners plus two to finish those teasers. I think the Chargers are a fun tease option. Are the Titans blowing out the Chargers? Are they blowing no. out anyone? No. I, I, don't, I, I love them as a tease option. The Cowboys, they're losing to the Jets? No. I don't think so. No. The not the better pa- not the Packers can so, the, I'm taking them yeah, survival. Yeah. The Falcons can the can the Falcons outscore anyone that much with with their Desmond Ritter? Like, I don't think so. 
and then the Niners. Uh, you're a little higher on the Rams than I am. With, yeah. So that one's a little tough for I think you. I'm staying away from that game completely because everybody is is on the 49ers here. Like, you you, you got a great breakdown on that uh, from what we saw in week one with, with the Rams and what they were able to do. Plus, Puka's hurt. So I think that's a stay away from me. But uh, if you made me make a selection, I kind of like the Rams at home. Bill's sitting at eight and a half that's against the Raiders. Would you want to tease them down to plus one and a half? Any uh, way they lose? After after Monday night, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. How do you? They're a point out favorite. Josh Wilson. I know. I know. Or Zach no. Wilson. I, he's terrible. He's awful. But he's, it's still the Bills. It's still Josh Allen. It's still the Raiders and Josh McDaniels. Yeah. I'm staying away from it. I'm not touching it. I'm with you. I'm concerned. But it feels like a good tease option. If if you're confident that the Bills bounce back, tease that down. I, yeah. I, I do. I, do I can't do anything. Buffalo. Hell, I don't even want Buffalo wings. <laughs> after after that Monday night loss. By the way, the Seahawks line's down to four today. I don't know what's going on there. So that was up at like six at one point. So falling down there with Seahawks. Really Lions. good. I I like that game. That game that game's got my attention. There's a lot of like we're going to learn. It's week two, of course. Yes. That one I I want to know what Detroit is. Mm-hmm. All right. Like we'll that's find out. The, and and Seattle too. To your point of, with the injuries they're dealing with, but. They're supposed to be a lot better, and that was a dud of a game for week one. And one last tease option. Sunday night football, Dolphins-Patriots. Are the Patriots blowing the Dolphins out? No. Dolphins plus seven on a tease? That's interesting. I dig that. That's interesting. But that's going to wrap it up. Great show there. Thanks to Sean Brace. Thanks to the the baseball bro. As Kyle from San Francisco. This is like third shot I've given Kyle Pagan here. But as Kyle from San Francisco. He calls him the baseball bro? Baseball bro, yeah. okay. I like that. The baseball bro, Bob Wankel. Bob's money. He's the best. Bob Wankel's the best. That was great, great, great stuff. And we'll have him on plenty more throughout the uh, the Phillies playoff run here. He's down there. He's down at the ballpark. He does a lot down there. Oh, absolutely. He's plugged in. He's plugged in. We've gotten some nuggets here from him before on maybe some some work ethic of a couple guys. But I'll leave that. I'll leave that for the past. But... Uh, Bob Wankel's the best. He's the best coming on here. So great show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Let's make some money, folks.